I'm Teresa Hampton. You're listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. everybody, I'm Ed Robinson, and welcome to another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. On the program, I have track and field athlete Kendall Williams. She's coming on the show to talk about her career and other things that she's currently doing right now. That's all coming up after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Robinson Show. People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room, you don't go to a clinic, you get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're gonna do, but the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm gonna go to an emergency room, I feel sick, I'm gonna just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. One eight seven seven cars for kids. K A R S cars for kids. Donate your car today with one eight seven seven cars for kids. We're a recognized five hundred one c three charity organization, so you'll receive a maximum tax deduction. What's more, you'll receive a vacation voucher of three days and two nights. Also on the web at carsforkids.com. dot com. One eight seven seven cars for kids. Donate your car today. Remember, that's cars with a K. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's Internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your Internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's Internet that gives you ultimate control. With the XFi app, you can pause the Wi-Fi at the push of a button. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. What's up, everybody? Uh, I know this time is pretty hectic and crazy, and there's a lot of uncertainty you know, out there, but uh, just want to take the time to encourage everybody to practice social distancing to the best of their abilities. I know, um, you know people are in a lot of different situations and a lot of demands, you know, from person to person, but as best we can practice social distancing so we can get rid of the spread of this virus as soon as possible, flatten the curve, make sure you stay six feet away from people, wash your hands when you're going inside, outside as much as you can, water and soap, and uh, we can all come together collectively to stop the spread of this virus. So everybody do their part. I'm doing mine. I'm at home. Me and my family really enjoying family time, um, but as best you can, Social distance yourself, and uh, we can flatten the curve and get rid of this virus as soon as possible. Appreciate it. Stop the spread. Let's do it. Are you working on your grocery list? Don't forget to include peanut butter made with Georgia peanuts. Peanuts have more protein than any other nut and provide essential nutrients. Pick up a jar for your household and donate a jar to a food pantry. It's affordable, nutritious, and shelf-stable. For peanut recipes, fun facts and activities, as well as information on how to donate, visit gapeanuts.com or tap the banner now. This message is brought to you by the Family Farmers of the Georgia Peanut Commission. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to the program. And now we want to introduce and welcome to the Robinson Show a track and field athlete who competed in her first Olympics uh, several years ago and is uh, currently uh, in preparation for the next Olympics in Tokyo. And also we're going to talk to her about that as well as other things that she's currently doing. We want to welcome to the Robinson Show Kendall Williams. Hello, Kendall. How's everything considering uh, the circumstances? Hi. Um, everything is pretty good. I mean, I feel like I'm uh, doing as good as a person can in quarantine, I guess. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, we're just all, just like the rest of the world, everybody, we're holding our own. So, again, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us on the program. So let's get right to it. You grew up in Marietta, Georgia, which is right outside of the Atlanta area. We know a lot of uh, great athletes come out of the Atlanta area. When you were coming up, was track and field a big thing in the Atlanta area? Um, There were a bunch of, like, youth clubs um, all around the area. Um, my dad actually still coaches his youth club, the Heat Track Club, um, in Marietta. So, But I didn't necessarily grow up a track fan. I mean, I started running when I was seven. Um, but prior to that, I had no idea, like, what track and field even was. I just kind of stumbled upon it, I guess. My parents saw that I had some talent and I could run pretty quick, so they found a program for me. But um, that's when I really started to, like, know track and field and track clubs and what track meets were. But, um, yeah, there were definitely a lot of youth clubs for sure uh, around the area. Awesome to hear. Now, I want to ask you, when, when you got your feet wet into the sport, who were some of the people that you looked up to in track and field to find out who, who would you model your style after? Um. Well, I mean, I guess an obvious one would be Jackie Joyner Kersey, but that didn't come about until – my later years, I think when I was younger, I was just running and having fun and hanging out with my friends. And it was just very um, casual. It didn't really start to, to become serious for me until I got closer to high school and through college. But um, definitely when I started the multi uh, and picked it up and learned more about it, um, Jackie Joyner Kersey has always been an idol of mine. And she actually um, reached out to me when I was competing at the Olympics. And sometimes she'll just like shoot me a text um, if like something big is happening. And so, um, she's just been a, a really nice person, a really nice contact, um, to have and a, a really nice, um, person to look up to. I mean, obviously she's a great heptathlete and then also a great person as well. So, um, for a long time, she's probably been, um, that, that person that I've looked up to for sure. Oh, wow, that's awesome to hear. That's definitely greatness right there with Jackie Joyner-Kersey. And so let's move on now mm -hmm. to your career. In, in high school, you set a U.S. junior record in the heptathlon at the 2012 IAAF World, World Junior Championships in Barcelona. And uh, you also earned athlete, athlete of the meet honors. And certainly you continued to win numerous championships in 2013 at the New Balance Nationals in New York City, followed by the USA Junior Championships and the Pan Am Junior Championships. And not just doing your thing, in the on the um, on the track, but also you did your thing in the education world. You earned uh, you graduated with a three point seven a three point seven five grade point average, Cal High School. So you definitely were a, definitely a, a jack of all trades, not just in track and field, <laughs> but, but in the classroom as well. And you also were a member of the National Thespian Society. So tell me, well. During your high school career, during your high school track career, was your father influential in 
building up your career? Did you have other coaches besides your father to help you along the way? Um, yeah, so my dad was my coach up until college, so seven years old up until when I went into college. Um, so, But he wasn't a high school coach. Like I said, he has his own uh, separate youth, like nonprofit youth club. So I did have my high school coach um, when I was going through those four years. And so I would I would do my high school practice and then in the evening go out and do um, my dad's practice as well. Um, so, yeah, he was definitely influential um, throughout my entire high school experience. He's actually the one that um, suggested that I even do drama class, and that's how I ended up in the thespian society because, you know, you do a certain number of um, plays and stuff, and I actually really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, my dad has always been um, right there helping me, you know, figure out my next steps and um, been a support system even now. Well, speaking of plays, what were some of your favorite plays that you enjoyed doing in high school? Ooh, let's see. The Craving was – it's a play called The Craving, and it's like a, a play that I did. I believe it was senior year, and I think that's my favorite because, like, I was one of the like the lead characters. Um, okay. And so it's basically – The Craving is like a play within a play. And so I played the director in the play. I don't know. It's just, like, really it's – a, it's a funny play. Um, and so that's, I actually still have the script at my parents' house because I loved it so much. Um, but what the thing was, I was only in drama class. I wasn't in the drama club because of track practice. So I could only do like the drama class during the day and the class itself would just put on like little, um, plays within the classes, but the drama club was like an entirely different thing that I wish I could have done. Um, but so these, these are just, you know, little plays that I've done. I think I've been maybe in, uh, like three or four, um, but the craving was definitely my my favorite. <laughs> okay, awesome. And then um, definitely, it helped your your varied high school experience helped you to transition into the next journey in your life, which was college. And you attended the University of Georgia, and you blew it out the water at Georgia. What was your major at uh, during your time at Georgia? Uh, I was advertising. Okay, what attracted you to uh, the field of advertising? Um, well, in the beginning, it was the major that I didn't have to take a lot of math classes. Okay. And so I was like, okay, that's well, that's at least math, you're being honest about it, you know. I have to be so honest. But when I got into the major, well, and let me take a step back. I knew that I um, think creatively and. Um, you know, I, I know that I can, you know, work really well in a group and, and bring ideas. And so that part fit with advertising. And so when I, I just didn't know what the major would really entail. But when I got into the major and I saw you know, how much research goes into advertising, and then I got to work a little bit with the creative part. Um, my senior year, we got to work on, um, well, junior and senior year, we got to work on businesses in Athens. So like the owner of like a local Athens business came to our class, told us, what she needed, and we spent the entire semester, like, you know, building a campaign based on, you know, what she needed and the direction she was trying to go and actually got the pitch to her and said, you know, if you like any of these ideas, like, feel free to take them. And then senior year, we actually worked on something for Zaxby's. And so just kind of getting those experiences were really cool, and I just got to learn so much about the advertising industry that I had no idea. You know, I, I just thought, oh, okay, a commercial on TV or, like, something 
that pops up online or, you know, but now I know why those commercials are on certain TV programs or why that particular ad is popping up in front of your computer screen, but maybe not someone else's. And so it's just kind of interesting um, to see the different types of ads, the informational ads versus the ads that are just there to remind you about the product based on where it is in the, in the life cycle. So I don't know. I just, I became such a advertising nerd, I guess, as I progressed through the major. Um, and so now it's like post track. I think I want a, a career in advertising. I think I want to go work in a, a big ad agency um, once I'm done with track. That's interesting that you bring up advertising. And again, you you really don't know a lot until you really dig deep into uh, the, a specific concentration or a major or anything. And it's good that you've learned the differences and still learning about it. I want to ask you, has your advertising degree, has it helped you in, in a sense in terms of your track and field career, in terms of um, endorsements or just a possible uh, attraction to endorsement deals? Um, I think it's definitely helped me learn like how I guess to market myself I mean um, in advertising you you know you know that social media is king right now and so a lot of companies are you know moving to digital and so that's kind of the same thing you know you see a lot of track athletes now um, posting workouts trying to connect with fans just really building their social media because it is a way um, to gain endorsements and um, and products. I, I have to admit, I'm not great with social media. I mean, like I, I post occasionally when something big is happening, but um, I do have friends that have really um, made a point to really grow their following and to build their brands for the purpose of attracting brands to their um, social media. And so I, I've seen it um, being done, but I think for me, it's just like, I just have the knowledge of like <laughs> how to do it, but then I'm, I'm okay. too, like, I don't know, shy or whatever to actually get out there and post as frequently or, you know, to actually do what it takes. But you definitely see everything being on social media now for companies and for athletes as well. Okay, awesome. We're going to get back to uh, track and field in the University of Georgia, in University of Georgia in just a moment. But I want to talk about in uh, two events that you specialize in, and that's the heptathlon and the pentathlon. For the audience, for our audience out there that may not be familiar with, can you explain what the difference is between the heptathlon and the and pentathlon? Yes. So the pentathlon is five events, and at my age now, it's only contested um, during the indoor season. And so it's the 60-meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, um, long jump, 800, and all in one day. Um, and then the heptathlon is outdoors, and that's seven events. And so it's all of the same events in the, in the pentathlon, the hurdles, the high jump, uh, long jump, 800. But we add the javelin, which is a throwing event, and then um, one more running event, we add the 200. You mentioned that the pentathlon is five events, and it's indoors, and it, and it lasts all day. How many days does, does the heptathlon last, one day, or does it last several days? Oh, it's over two days. Um, so the first four events are on day one, and the last three events, which is long jump, javelin, 800, are on day two. Okay, two fair enough. Days. Now, with, okay, cool. So now with, with your with, – was this an event that you 
with the pentathlon, the hep, were these events that you gravitated towards early when you, uh, early into your track and field career, or did you do other events before those two? Um, I did other events. Um, when I first started track, I did, you know, like standing, I was seven, so I did standing long jump, I ran the 100, uh, ran the 200, and then as I progressed, I started to run the four, and, you know, I, I sprinkled in some field events here and there. And then when I got to be uh, like 11 or 12, my dad realized that I'd already pretty much done, like I'd already been hurdling, I'd already had experience with long jump, high jump. And so when you're younger, the pentath one is all that there is. So he's like, well, okay, she's already hurdling, already high jumping, and doing the long jump. I just have to teach her how to throw the shot put and then convince her to run the 800, and then we've got the pentath one. And so that's kind of what happened. We just started to experiment with the pentathlon, um, realized that I, I had some success in it, and then kind of just kept going from there in the multi-events. And so as you get older, the pentathlon changes into the heptathlon outdoors. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. It just kind of snowballed. Like I realized that I was doing a lot of the events already, so we just decided to, okay, what does it look like when we put these all together? And that's how it started. Awesome to hear. Now, what do you consider to be your best events in these competitions? For sure. Um, just because I think I've worked the longest on those. Um, and then there, it's just my favorite event. It's like a quick event. It's short. It's the first event. Um, so, yeah, by far the, the hurdles and then the long jump would probably be number two out of the seven. All right, awesome to hear. Now let's uh, transition again to back to uh, your college days at the University of Georgia, and you did some amazing things at the University of Georgia. Again, you were uh, an All-American. You were a seven-time NCAA Division I champion. You were also a U.S. track and field and cross-country coaches association All-American, and you definitely did your thing at the University of Georgia. What was your uh, the collegiate experience like for you uh, in Athens? Um, you said, how was the collegiate experience like in Athens? Yes. Okay, it was great. Um, my uh, my older brother, he was at EGA a year before I was. He's a, a year and a half older than I am. So um, we got to do the experience together, and I think that's what made it all the more special. Um, you know, we're an hour and 30 minutes from home, so our parents could always, you know, come up. or And then our parents are super track family anyway, so they would travel everywhere with us and it was nice that they could just wear like one college it wasn't like they had to like split the t-shirt in half and have like school over here and my school over there so it was cool that they got to just cheer on Georgia and you know the, the team was great my coach Petros um, was great I mean I think you know he's really what I needed to kind of take my talent to the next level he brings a lot out of me and all of the athletes in his group um, and so I was just pushed harder than I ever thought I, I could go, like, push farther than I ever thought I could go, and then I um, had way more success than I ever thought I would have. Like, if somebody would have told me that I, I would have won seven individual NCAA titles and, like, broken records and won awards, I would have been like, you're joking. <laughs> like, you're absolutely joking. Um, so it was just an incredible experience. Um, UGA is a great university, um, and I had a lot of fun. Definitely a really great four years. That's wonderful to hear. And then um, I'm looking at your stats right here, and you were 
the NCAA Indoor Champion in the Pentathlon in 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017. So you did your thing. And then in the heptathlon, you were the 2014, 2016 NCAA Outdoor Champion, and you were also the heptathlon SEC Outdoor Champion in 2014. And then you were the SEC Indoor Champion in the pentathlon in uh, 2015, 2016, and 2017. So you definitely – made the most out of your time at the University of Georgia. Um, who were some of your – I know that the SEC, we know about the, the pedigree of the SEC when it comes to football, but track and field is, is no slouch by any words of the imagination. We know about schools like LSU and Auburn and Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and Alabama. During your time at UGA, who, who did you consider to be some of your uh, toughest rivals? Um, that's an easy one because we still go back and forth to this day. Um, her name is Erica Bogard, and she went to Mississippi State, so she's right there in okay. SEC. So we would always, you know, run head-to-head at SEC championships, at NCAAs, and we would go back and forth. I think she's a year or two older than I am. Um, so, yeah, so that was fun. I, I would say she was and still is um, my biggest rival, but we also have a great relationship. We actually trained together for – eight months so um but yeah everybody there's a lot of talent in the sec that's why i wanted to go to school in the sec um you know i wanted to be where the talent is and so there's so many great competitors um, across all the events across all sports um in the sec so um yeah it was fun it was very competitive but it was fun all right, awesome to hear. And during your time at the University of Georgia, you won the Honda Sports Award as the nation's best track and field competitor in 2017. And uh, you you racked up some other awards as well during your time at Georgia. You were the SEC Female Athlete of the Year. And, you know, the, I mean, you, you really did your thing at uh, Georgia, racking up the Honda Sports Award, and then you became yeah. – the SEC Female Athlete of the Year. And, you know, you had a lot of competition. Just Again, just kind of talk about those experiences of, of receiving those prestigious awards. Um, yeah, it was incredible. Um, you know, because a lot of the time I didn't really even know that those awards existed. So it wasn't like I came into college chasing the Honda Sports Award. I didn't know what the Honda Sports Award was until they they told me that I won it. And I was like, that's incredible. Um, so it was just such a blessing to, you know, to to know that people were recognizing, like, the work that I was putting in and that it was paying off um, because, you know, as a multi, we're, like, beating our bodies up, you know, six days a week, sometimes twice a day. And so, you know, it was just nice that the work was paying off and that – and, you know, everybody loves to be recognized. So it was nice to, to win an award and know that, like, out of everybody that's working hard, like, they decided, you know, select me to win the award, you know, and it was just really special. All of them are super special, and they're all, um, you know, displayed at my parents' house in this really nice, um, like, trophy, I, I don't know, case thing. Um, so they're all really special to me. They're all really, you know, cool awards and, um, you know, just, just put the icing on the cake for my experience at Georgia for sure. Rightfully so, and then uh, you definitely was the icing on the cake during your time in Athens. And uh, also just want to mention to the audience out there that you, in 2013, you were voted the Gatorade Girl, the, the Gatorade High School Girls Track and Field Athlete of the, of the Year. So definitely you were recognized nationwide and by a big company like Gatorade. So uh, 
kudos yes. to you on that one as well. And um, I want to talk. You're welcome. And then uh, let's talk about your Olympic experience. You were a member of the 2016 United States Olympic track and field team that competed in uh, at the Olympics in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. You know, the Olympics is a global party. The whole world is watching. What was that experience like just being at Olympic Stadium with the whole world just fixated on not just you, but just all of the athletes and just what was that what was that response like? Um, it was amazing. Um, that that entire experience from the moment that I realized I made the team all the way up until I, I was done competing. I mean the whole experience was just incredible. I don't know how many times I just like stopped and said, I can't believe this is happening. Like I can't believe that I'm an Olympian. Like I can't believe that I'm at the Olympics. Like I don't know, I just like I kept repeating it to myself and it it still kinda doesn't feel like it hasn't even sunk in yet like how crazy it it was and it's been four years um but yeah it was just such a cool experience because it's something that you know you dream about for a long time and uh you know it's, who knows if you're ever going to get there I mean the U.S. Olympic team is like you know probably the hardest team to make um and so you know there's so many talented athletes that may never have even made an Olympic team so just the fact that I was able to make the team compete it was just such an awesome experience and as a junior in college, too. So, um, you know, sometimes when you go to your first Olympic trials, you just kind of go there to get your feet wet. And so to be able to have gone there, my first one, make the team, um, it was just it was awesome. And there were so many people from Georgia that made it to the Olympics. I mean, we had some swimmers that went. Um, and then my, my coach, Petros, had um, a whole gang of athletes that was there. So it was really nice to make the team with other people that you are already familiar with because um, it kind of just helps you relax a little bit. Um, so, but the experience was crazy, just knowing, you know, walking into the opening ceremony, just knowing people are watching all over the world and that you're literally on the biggest stage right now. It was just so cool. Um, and I just couldn't wait to, after it was open, it actually was funny because I was still in school. So me and my roommate, who's a triple jumper, Katora Orji, she, um, we flew back right after she was done competing. So we didn't even stay the duration of the Olympics because we came back for class. And then when we got back, we were like, our, our professors probably would have understood <laughs> if we just stayed <laughs> at the Olympics. Uh-huh. So we decided to come home. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, if we make the team in, in 2021, I will for sure stay the whole time. <laughs> Well, you mentioned that you and your roommate flew back immediately after she finished her competition. Did you have an opportunity during your time to take in the culture of Rio, or was it just a, a business trip for you? Um, I didn't do much just because of um, a lot of the stuff that they had going on at the time. They didn't advise us to really leave, um, like the the like the base, so they didn't really advise us to go out and and do a whole lot of exploring. So I did go and see some other sports compete um, because track and field wasn't like the very, at the very, very beginning of the Olympics. So I did get to go see like weightlifting. I saw some gymnastics. Um, I saw some water polo. So I did go and watch other events, but I did not really go and explore outside of the Olympic village. Um, But again, Another something that will probably change if I'm able to make the Tokyo 2021 team. I think I'll be more bold and more, like, you know, willing and ready to explore, especially if I'm there for a longer period of time. 
Okay, fair enough. Now, let's, let's stay with Rio for a moment. You competed in the heptathlon, and certainly your fellow teammates was uh, Barbara Inwaba and Heather Miller-Koch. I hope I'm pronouncing her last mm-hmm. name right. Um, what, was, what was it like having teammates in uh, Barbara and Heather? Oh, it was awesome. I, I met Barbara for the, at um, World Indoors in 2016. We were on the Portland team. Um, together. So that's the first time that I met her. So I already knew she was super nice girl, super talented. Um, and then Heather, I think, I think the trials were maybe the first time I met Heather, but again, super nice, super hardworking. And so when we made the team together, I was actually so tired after the competition, after the 800, that the two of them were like essentially holding me up for the interview because, you know, after we finish, um, they usually have someone at the finish line, you know, interviewing people after races before we take our victory lap. So the two of them, like, held me up <laughs> to do the interview and then, um, like, basically carried me around the track for the victory lap. So uh, I knew competing with them was going to be great, um, and it was. And they're, they're still so nice. Heather's actually retired, and she started a family. And I think Barbara, um, she had been injured, but I think, you know, she's finally healthy and um, is going to be coming back to make the uh, the next Olympic push. So, um yeah, I'm excited. They're great, great competitors, and it was a really good experience. Awesome to hear. You know, the the Olympic experience is definitely one of a kind, but unfortunately with every Olympics, it's always something political or something social or a pandemic taking place. We're going to talk more about coronavirus in just a little bit, but the the games in Rio were marred by the Zika crisis. I wanted to ask you, did the did the U.S. Uh, the United States Olympic Committee or maybe the International Olympic Committee or better yet, did the United States Track and Field Association make any preparations with you and the other athletes in terms to prepare for um, the Zika crisis that had taken place in Brazil? Yes, and so let me try to see if I remember this correctly. I know we were to pack in our suitcases just in case, um, and I think they had the option to test. Um, like before and like get like it's some sort of injection before or something before you go over there. I can't remember, but they definitely had precautions. They gave you a bunch of safety information. And this is with every trip. Um, you kind of look at all the details about where you're going, but yeah, for the Zika thing, they definitely had all the information. Um, I believe in the village they had, they were spraying um, to try to, to try to calm down all of, you know, the possible uh, mosquitoes or, or, or whatever. So I personally, I didn't see anything like it, it, to me, it didn't look out of control or I didn't even, had you told me that there was like a Zika crisis, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know having been in the village because I think they did a really good job. Um, and then the U S was very prepared. Obviously they have like team doctors and stuff on staff who are knowledgeable about everything that's going on with every country that team USA, um, goes to. So they were definitely prepared, um, for, for the, crisis. All right, but that's great to hear. You know, it's great to have an insight from an Olympian, and then you gave us some insight about the village and how they were prepared during that particular pandemic that was going on in Brazil, and unfortunately, we have another pandemic that we're currently dealing with, with uh, coronavirus. I know coronavirus has basically stopped everything for the time being, not just sports, but just society in general. This was a big Olympic year for you. What have mm-hmm. you, I, I, should, I should say, not just you, but what have you and your brother done as well as your family to just um, stay safe and keep sanity during during this pandemic? 
Um, so we've been just kind of keeping in our own houses. Uh, my brother Devin actually lives uh, like two minutes away from me. So he's in his house. I've been in my apartment. I live by myself. My parents are at home in Kennesaw. Um, so we've just been staying separate. And then um, Devin actually ordered, uh, turned his garage into uh, a gym. So he, you know, got a squat rack, the power clean bars, the whole nine yards so that he can still lift and obviously he can, you know, jog around his neighborhood. I don't have a garage, so I just got basic, you know, household stuff, um, like jump rope, ankle weights, like a pull-up bar that you can attach to your door, um, those kinds of things to maintain training. And, you know, I'll go run around the neighborhood or I'll actually drive to campus and just kind of, you know, do a lap around campus or something. So just trying to stay as active as possible and being in touch with um, our coach to see, you know, what kind of things, like, should we be doing, um, you know, trying to work on the little stuff now. I think our, our coach is, um, you know, turning this into a positive in that we can work on some of our weaker areas, not even just our weaker events, but, like, things that, for example, like our core, like sometimes our core to be able to hold the right posture while we're running and to be able to lift our knees even when we're tired, those kinds of things. So strengthening those muscles, strengthening our back muscles, you know, get, getting our arm flexible enough to, like, throw the jab and get in the right position. So just kind of using this time to work on the stuff that we might have just kind of, you know, glimpsed over, not really touched on had we been in a normal competition season because once outdoor hits, it's just kind of go, 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 go. Um, you know, you might be in Europe, and then, you know, you come back for a couple of weeks, and then you get called to go, you know, fly somewhere else and do another meet. So you're always kind of on go. And you don't really have time sometimes to remember to, you know, do your ankle strengthening stuff, do your, you know, back stuff, because you're just always trying to get ready for the next meet. Um, so this is kind of time to just, you know, decompress, make sure the body is completely healthy, work on the little things, um, and then, you know, just trying to stay as safe as, as possible. That's good to hear right there. And then while we're on the topic of the Olympics, this was an Olympic year, Tokyo 2020, but now it's been postponed until the summer of 2021. So do you think the International Olympic Committee, do you think they should have – we know that, the, of course, we know that the Olympics is going to be uh, moved, until, moved to the summer of next year, but do you think the IOC, do you think they should have pulled the plug – much earlier, or do you think they they made the call at the right time? Um, I don't know. I think they they were trying to do what was best for everyone. I mean, nobody knows what's going on with the virus, and so you know, I don't think I don't. And because you know, the Olympics is so important, and they knew they knew what postponing would mean. They knew what canceling would mean to people, and so I think they were just trying to feel it out before they made any decisions that you know, that would throw off everyone. I mean, I think everyone in some shape or form has been thrown off um, by postponing and definitely people would have been heartbroken if it was totally taken off the table. So I think, you know, they were just trying to be considerate about, you know, and, and make the right decision and not make, um, you know, a hasty decision. Um, but ultimately I, I do think they made the right call to postpone it. Um, I think for me, as long as they didn't take it off the table completely, um, I was happy but I know that it affects some people more than others. Um, you know, some people, you know, the, the people that are older are waiting for 2020 to, like, you know, retire and start their family. So now they have to make a decision as to, okay, are they going to push for 2021? Are they going to, you know, put their 
career after track on hold for yet another year, you know. But, you know, some people that were younger, you know, they have another year to get, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. People that may have been injured or needed a procedure could go ahead and get that out of the way while there's downtime. You know, so it it benefits and hinders people. But I think for me, I'm kind of in a, um, a fortunate position to where, you know, I'm only 24. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't planning to retire. Um, you know, I, I wasn't recovering from an injury, so I think that I will still be in a good position next year. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think postponing is the right call, and I do think um, people will be just excited next year, or even more so now that you know they they've been waiting to do sports for so long. I think they'll be even more fired up when 2021 rolls around. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think it was the right call. The only unfortunate thing is that since the season has been canceled, a lot of the athletes who track is their only job, well, now we're not, you know, we're making significantly less than um, what we were planning for this year for sure. Um, so that's a bummer. But with the Olympics, I think it was the right call. Yeah, rightfully so. And, again, you know, I mean – in Olympic years, I mean, every track every track season is busy, but whenever it's an Olympic year, it's extremely busy because you've got the Drake relays, you've got the pin relays, there's the Prefontaine, right. Mill, Mill yeah. Rose, there's also the Adidas games in Boston and the Armory games. So it's certainly, it's, I mean, it, it's it's one thing after another, both indoor and outdoor. But, um, you know, I'm glad the IOC made the right decision. So, And I want to talk now about the USA Track and Field Association. Have you heard any – updates in terms of uh, what the United States Track and Field Association plans to do going forward and heading into 2021? Yeah, I I believe they've set a new date for the trials. So um, the next year will be interesting because we'll have an indoor world championship um, and then the outdoor um, Olympics because both of those were um, moved. So um, yeah, so I think they just, you know, reset the date for the Olympic trials and, um, you know, we're just going to go forward <laughs> next year. And just, you know, it's just like, yeah. Yeah, this is totally okay. Scrap the 2020, we're just going to reset 2021. Um, so, yeah, same procedure. I don't know what they're going to do um, for, like, the marathon, for example, though, because the marathon trials already happened. So, you know, and then I know some other sports, I think some other um, – events had already qualified people to the game. So I'm not sure how that's going to go. I mean, we have some Estonian um, teammates who, uh, who've already made their Estonian team. So I don't, I don't know what the, the procedure is for people that have already made their, you know, the, the team. Um, so that's going to be interesting, but I know for tracking the majority of the track and field athletes, our trials hadn't come up yet. So nobody um, on the, the track, or field events had made it to the Olympic team yet. So um, for us, it won't be that different, but it'll be interesting to see what happens for the people that did already make the team for their country. All right, fair enough. And now while currently everything is on hold right now, you've got a lot of time on your hands as well as you and your brother preparing and training. I want to talk about something that you've recently done uh uh, a partnership that you've hooked up with called the world's greatest team. Tell our audience just a little bit about what that's all about. Um, world's greatest team is like a, a media company. And so they just kind of help athletes um, just kind of, I guess, get their brand out there and they like to do fun stuff. I mean, they're, they're really fun. A couple of guys, um, three guys that kind of work 
work behind World's Greatest Team, and so they just come out with, like, different video ideas, um, <laughs> and it's, it's just a fun way. They travel to meet, and so sometimes they'll, you know, pull us to do an interview or something that they might use later, and um, so, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a big group of, of athletes. I don't even know how many people they actually have on their little roster, people that they work with, but um, I know they've done some stuff with me and Devin and trying to tell our sibling story. Um, so, yeah, it's just been fun. But media company, they're just kind of trying to, you know, get some exciting stuff out there about track and field athletes. Awesome. While we're still on the subject of track and field, you know, track and field is a sport that's depended heavily on not just uh, at professional athletes earning their money at meets, but also with endorsements. Do you have any endorsements, endorsement deals? Did you have any current endorsement deals or anything lined up that was affected during this pandemic, or were you still shopping your, yourself and uh, trying to make the rounds in terms of uh, getting endorsement deals? Um, so my sponsor is Nike, and so um, I'm signed with them through the end of this year. So, and then um, the negotiations will happen about you know what's going to come next. So, um, yeah, I'm fortunate enough to to have a sponsor, but that's not the case for um, many track and field athletes. Many track and field athletes don't have don't have a shoe sponsor, and so they might try to find you know another sponsor with like maybe some a recovery drink or you know, like a recover a power bar or something. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not like easy to uh, to get a shoe sponsor in the track and field world. But um, I am fortunate enough to be with um, with Nike. So, but they are my only um, sponsor at the moment. Awesome. Explain how the pay scale works when you at when you're getting paid at track meets. Do do you get, does it do athletes get paid? I mean, with what you do in the pentathlon and the heptathlon, do you get paid if you get, like, finished in the top three or do you finish in the top five? How how does it work in, in terms – how does the, pay, the payment work in terms of you, your events? Um, so usually I'll, I will only do, like, three heptathlons a year, which will be, um, like, an opening meet somewhere. It's usually, like, um, this meet called Gotsis. It's in Austria. Um, and then I'll do like the U S trials. And then if there's like a world championships or Olympics, so those are my three. And at those meets, they pay, um, top eight prize money and like descending. So, you know, your first place will start at, you know, X amount, and then it'll just, you know, decrease from there through eighth place, but eight places do get something. Now in between there, I'll do, um, like smaller meets around Europe. And in those meets, I'll just compete in, like, an open event, like the hurdles, or, you know, I'll just go over there and long jump or something. Um, and so those meets, again, depend. I, some meets will pay top eight. You know, some will pay, you know, top three. It just kind of depends on, I guess, the size of the meet. Um, but the bigger meets, like the Olympics and Worlds, pay um, top eight. Okay, that's interesting. I was always curious about the pay scale and track and field and how athletes get paid in meets. I wasn't sure if you guys got paid or maybe in the top three or top five or dependent upon the event. That's that's interesting right there. And um, I want to talk now about uh, any current projects that you're working on. Um, projects? Yeah, I don't know. I have like a lot of little stuff going on. Like I'm currently trying to plan um, one of my friends' bachelorette. 
Um, you know, I'm currently trying to teach my dog tricks. <laughs> okay. Um, so that <laughs> That's always a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, decorated my patio the other week, put a scrapbook together of all my bib numbers. So just a lot of, like, little stuff that I'm doing. No, like, huge projects at the moment. Um, but, yeah, honestly, my dog takes up majority of my time. Okay, that hey, that's fair enough. I mean, ain't nothing wrong. Got, <laughs> gotta have dogs, uh, especially in this in this time right now. You know, they definitely oh, yeah. definitely um, a, a big confidence booster. So, um, quickly, uh, Kendall, uh, thank you so much for being on the program. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media, and if you have a website, let them know that as well. Find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is K Dub, so K D U B B underscore one hundred. Um, and that's probably the, the like, social media platform I'm active on the most. Um, I do have a Twitter, which is kwilliams underscore hep or kwilliams hep or something. Like, the fact that I don't even know my Twitter handle should indicate, like, how often I'm actively on Twitter. But so Instagram is probably the best one, kdub100. Um, and so, yeah, if anybody, like, has any questions, that's probably the best place to reach me or if anybody wants to follow along with, like, where I am in the world or what I'm doing, that's probably the best way. Um, so, yeah. All right. So any final thoughts that you have to the audience that are big supporters of USA track and field or just um, any inspirational words you want to share related to the COVID-19, anything you want to say you have to say to them, the floor is yours. Um, yeah. If anybody is out there is a track fan, thank you because um, there's not a ton around the world until it's an Olympic year. So, um, I always love, like, the loyal track fans that like to just hear all about track and field and what's going on. And then as far as um, the, the virus right now, I'm just hopeful, and I hope everyone else is just remaining hopeful that, you know, it will pass eventually and just try to, you know, continue to do what we can to stay safe and, um, you know, keep in touch with our loved ones and just keep our minds active so we don't go crazy in quarantine, but, like, to use this time to, you know, get productive, start doing that thing that you said that, you know, you were going to do, and now it's been five months, you know, just go ahead and start, whether that's, you know, clean out the garage or, you know, clean out the the attic or, you know, start exercising, just whatever it is. Now you have all the time in the world. Um, so just, yeah, stay active and stay positive um, and stay healthy. You heard it from her. She's Kimber Williams. She's a <laughs> pentathlete and a heptathlete and also was a member of the 2016 United States Olympic track and field team. And she's her and her brother they're, They've been training and getting prepared for Tokyo 2021. Kendall, thank you so much for taking time out of your thank busy you. schedule to be with us on the program. If you ever want to come back on, feel free to let us know. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. And that's going to do it for another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. I'm your host, Ed Robinson. And remember, put God first in everything you do and you can't go wrong. Until next time, stick to the script. I'm out. And remember, stay safe and stay inside. And like Kendall said, be productive. I'm out. Peace. People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, 
You may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. Hey, this is Amy Bentley with RWMS Group, and you are listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked.